0: with us. Hey, Violet, good to see you. Okay. Now, so we've kind of discovered already that a lot of our decision-making comes because of personal benefit that I receive. If I could lo- relocate to another city, have family, have the city that I like, and be able to have more income, a lot of us would t- be very tempted to do that. In fact, many of us would probably do that. So I'm gonna I'm going to ask you to Think for a little while. Think for about the next 30, 45, 50 minutes, whatever it is. And uh, think about how do we get wisdom to discern what is really right for us to do and what is not. Okay? Because we're talking about decision making. And the most often asked question that I get is how do I know what God wants me to do? You know, wouldn't it be wonderful if God appeared on your TV set every morning? Say, He's going to show up on your TV at 6 a.m. every morning. You turn that baby on. He says, okay, here's your plan for the day. Here's what I want you to do at 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You had this agenda out there, and he spelled it out clearly. How many of you would do that if he could do that for you? You'd just show up every Sunday. I've scared you, haven't I? This is not a trick. This part is not a trick question. I mean, if God could communicate to you through your TV and give you your agenda for the day, would that be cool? Yeah, it would be. Because we would know specifically what he wants us to do. Now, how many of you believe that God's will is a tightrope, and it says that here's what you should do all the time, here's what you should never do, and there's nothing in between? Okay, I used to think that. Remember the story I told you about coming home from school one day, driving my car, and at that point there's a gas station on every corner between my school and my home, you know, four at each intersection. And I would labor over which gas station to, to stop at because God might have something for me to do there. And I don't want to miss. So I would, get, I would get frozen because I wouldn't know which gas station to go to. And so I would end up at home and just fill up with my dad's gas can you know, for his lawnmower. And you know that always came to no good end <laughs> either. You know, where's this gas going? I don't know. It wasn't me. Okay. But last week we talked about some things that will help us to discern God's will. Okay, what did we learn last week? Anybody know? We are going to, uh uh-oh, it's about what before do? You before do, okay, who you are, who before do, okay, who before do. It's more important that you define and work on who you are before you ever worry about what you're going to do. Okay, it's more important to discern why you want something before you get the what. Okay, why before what? Who before do, why before what? Motives matter, right? And so therefore we need to know who we are and why we do the things we do, why we want the things we want, because there are some good reasons for wanting some things, but there's also some really bad reasons, don't you think? Okay, so we need to know that stuff so that we can can make the best decisions. Okay, now, we, last week we talked about how a lot of people get frozen in their decision-making because there's so many options available, right? I hate going to a restaurant, hate's a strong word, isn't it? But I really dislike going to a restaurant where you can't order by numbers, you know? Or where you might be able to substitute, you know, you can substitute this for that. and You know, to me, I want a number 14, cheese, no onions, Okay. That's the way I am. No, 14 cheese, no onions. They go, ah, gotcha. You know what that is. You know, you go to McDonald's and what do you get? You get a number five. five. Okay. Some people like six. Okay. I like number two. You can just order by numbers. You don't have to think too much. You just have to remember numbers, you know, and, but when there's a lot of options, when you go to a restaurant that has like page after page of stuff, man, it takes forever. Because what if there's something down there that you really like that you know, you know, you have to read it all and you process it? Oh, I don't know if I feel like that today, and it takes forever. So we we get frozen in our decision making because we have so many options. Well, today I want to suggest to you that we also get frozen in our decision making because we live in an age of perfection. Have you noticed that? You know, and I blame social media for this. You know, Instagram. You know, you get you get on people's sites, you know, maybe their Facebook and and you see all of their pictures and, you know, they're having the perfect meal. They're in the perfect vacation destination. They have the perfect workout pose. You know, and it's amazing how people have documented their lives with all of this perfection. And when you start seeing that, you start thinking, man, they live the perfect life. They're nothing like me you know, and I'll be, I'll be honest, they're nothing like me. I grew up in a day and age where it was characterized with imperfection, you know, the dysfunction of the family, the, the, the bartering, and the, and the arm twisting, and the manipulating, and all of that stuff, you know, and that was normal. Today, what is normal is perfection, and if I can't achieve perfection in my decision making, if I choose something that's imperfect, Oh, that would just be disaster for my, for my Facebook site. That would be disaster for my Instagram account. That would be disaster. And so therefore I get frozen into an inability to make decisions because I don't want to do anything that's imperfect. Well, just like last week, this week, if you're frozen in that decision-making process because you're afraid of making an imperfect decision, make some decision. Any decision is better than no decision most often. Okay, any decision is better. Because you know why? God can steer you after you get moving. But when you're frozen and a, unable to make a decision, God can't get you. You know, He can't redirect you. But if you start moving in a direction, He can say, okay, let's tweak that a little bit and go over here. God's will is far more fluid than we might think it is. Okay. Now, add to that, you know, this all of this perfection stuff. Add to that the Christians who believe that there is the perfect will of God. How many? And let's be honest, there's a perfect will of God, right? Okay, raise your hand. Be proud. You know, there's a perfect will of God. What is it? Uh, uh, Okay, there's some places where it says, and this is God's will, right? This is God's will. That's God's perfect will. There are times when God says specifically, this is what you ought to do. Okay? What are some of those things? You ought to live a moral life. Okay? You ought to what? Okay, you ought to worship him with, your, with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Okay? Okay? You ought to love. Okay? Love. You ought to what? Uh-oh. Bear one another's burdens. There's a lot of things that God says you ought to do. Okay? And so that's why we read the Bible. We want to know what those things are. There's some things that God says you should never do, right? Thou shalt not. No. Okay, yeah, we know some of that stuff, okay? Now, does God ever say, I want you to live in Fairfield, Sassoon, Vacaville? Have you ever read that in the Bible? No. Huh? Isn't that bizarre? However, that's one of the most often quest- asked questions. Where should I live? What school should I go to? What job should I do? And I read the Bible and I say, man, I never found anywhere in there where it told me what job I ought to have. But it does tell me what I ought to do when I'm at my job. And I believe that God is more concerned about what we do when we're there than where we are. Okay? So therefore, there's some fluidity to this thing, and there is God's perfect will, don't get me wrong, But a lot of times when we're searching for God's perfect will in a lot of matters, he has not spoken about that. And so therefore, what what resources do we have in regard to that? I want to draw your attention to a passage of Scripture here today. And today, I want you to be out early. So listen fast. Okay, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 6 through 9. Notice, now if there was a person ever in the world that should have known what God's will is... Don't you think it would be the Apostle Paul? He wrote most of the New Testament after all. He was, he was founded and grounded in faith in God. Okay? But notice his words here. He says, perhaps I will stay with you for a little while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey. Wherever I go, uh, for I do not want to see you now. For I not, I'm, hang on just a second. Violet, I had to go get my glasses. Okay. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. Now, does he have a definite plan? I want to read to you some words here. He says, perhaps, perhaps, maybe, I don't know. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. He says, perhaps I'll stay with you for a while. Maybe I will, maybe I won't, or even spend the winter. Maybe I will, maybe I won't, so that you can help me on my journey. Wherever I go. Does he know where he's going? No, but he knows he's going somewhere, right? Okay, wherever I go. Now, does this sound like a man that has heard from God and is ready to do exactly what he said? Yeah, but does he know exactly what it is? No. 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 Wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and only make a passing visit. I hope, you know, I'm not sure, but I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. You know, I don't know if he's permitted it yet or not, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. Okay, that's it for sure. Because a great door for effective work has opened to me. And do you think that it's God's will for people to oppose you? There are many who oppose me, he says. Now, a lot of times when we get opposition, what do we do? We crumble. You know, we say, oh, this is not God's will. If people are opposing me, it's not God's will. You know, but the Apostle Paul here has given us a great deal of ambivalence about what he believes God wants him to do. So now, how do we know and how would the Apostle Paul figure out what he wants God to do or what God wants him to do? Because God doesn't always tell us exactly what he wants us to do. But he will give us what? The wisdom to decide. Did you know that there might be several right options for you when it comes to God's will? Several right options. What city should I live in? Oh, there might be several right options. You know, because what's God more concerned about? Not where you are, but what you do while you're there. Let's say God wanted me to specifically, he says, I want you to live in Fairfield. And so I moved to Fairfield. Or I want you to live in Sassoon. And I moved to Sassoon. And I'm there, but I don't do anything. I'm going to say, so what? So what? What, matter, what does it matter if I'm exactly where God wants me to be if I don't do what God wants me to do? So today we're going to talk about how to decide, how to get wisdom, how to do the things that Solomon did. Remember Solomon? For those of you not church people, let me just catch you up to speed with Solomon. Solomon was King David's son. King David was the greatest king of Israel, man, and, and he was a superman. Uh, he He conquered you know all of the all of the land there and so Solomon his son comes, and he 's going to have a time of peace. Solomon is now king, and he has a time of peace and he comes to worship God and he wants to worship God by bringing a sacrifice, a burnt offering and so he comes and brings these offerings, and he doesn 't want to just worship God with one burnt offering; he brings thousands okay thousands. He loves God so much, he wants God to know how much he loves him, and so he brings thousands of burnt offerings to to God. Now, do you think that gets God's attention? Do you think it matters to God one way or the other? It got God's attention. He says, here's a guy that I can use, and he loves me so much. He loves me so much, worships me so much, that I can use this guy. How does God know whether he can trust you or not? By the quality of your worship. Okay, the quality of your worship. Now, worship is more than what we do here in the mornings, just singing songs. That's part of worship. But hopefully that's a reflection of what you've done all week long as you've submitted to God. As we submit to God all week long, we read his word, we hear from him, we respond obediently to it. And he says, there's a person that I can use. So therefore, I'm going to ask what they need in order to get the job done. And God is really cool about it. He just doesn't tell you, here's what you need to get the job done always, because he comes to Solomon and he says, Solomon, what do you want? And Solomon could have asked for money. He could have asked for influence. He could have asked for a lot of things. But what did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. God, these are great people that you've given me to oversee. This nation of Israel is tremendous. It's awesome. And I don't know that I have what it takes to be the leader that you've called me to be. So God, give me wisdom in order to judge your people properly, to guide them, to nurture them, to do what I need to do. Give me wisdom to be able to do that. And you know what God said? I'll give you that. I'll give you wisdom. But not only will I give you wisdom... I'll give you stuff you didn't ask for. You didn't ask for wealth. I'm going to give that to you too. You didn't ask for influence. I'm going to give that to you too. Because you've asked for the key ingredient. You've asked for wisdom to rule my people wisely. And so therefore, I'm going to make you a king like no other king. People came from all over the world to ask him questions. There was a time where there were these two ladies and they had, they had, uh, um, had a couple of kids, and one of them, they slept all in the same bed, and one of them rolled over on the kid and, and killed her baby. So she grabs the other baby and says, oh, this is my baby. And so it comes to the king's attention. You know, they're fighting over the live kid, you know, the dead kid's gone, and they're fighting over the live kid. And the king says, King Solomon says, okay, well, I'll tell you what, ladies, since you both claim to be the mom of this kid, let's just hack this kid in half, and each of you get half. And the one mother kind of smugly said, oh, yeah, that'll be cool. And the other mother said, no, don't do that. Let her have the baby. Let her have the baby. And Solomon discerned from that, "Ah, you're really the baby's mom. You want this baby to live. You are the baby's mom. So he had this wisdom that people just uh, were were uh, just taken aback by. People came from all over the world, rulers from other nations. They came to, to Really check up and say, do you really know everything you're talking about? Not only did he have great wisdom, but God gave him great knowledge, too. He knew stuff. I mean, he knew stuff about plants. He knew stuff about animals. He knew stuff about everything. And he had this great knowledge, but he also held this knowledge in in loose hands, and he always let his knowledge be governed by wisdom. Well, I say always, for a lot of period of his life. Okay, he gets hung up there at the end of his life and gets, starts making bad decisions. But man, he was known for his wisdom. In Proverbs 14 27, it says this Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever, whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Now, this is one of the ways that God discerns, or God teaches us to discern what is best for us, what he wants us to do. He gives us the ability to judge wisely, to have good judgment, to get wisdom. Now, wisdom and knowledge are a little bit different, aren't they? A lot of people go to school and get a lot of knowledge, a lot of knowledge. But wisdom is that special ability to be able to apply your knowledge for good causes. Okay, take the knowledge that you have and use it for good causes. Use it for God's causes. That's where wisdom comes in. Now, how many of you have ever said, I wish I had known then what I know now? Okay, good. Then you're in the right spot today because I'm going to teach you how to, how to be able to discern wisdom. Okay, there's three things that you need to do in order to get wisdom. The first one is walk, W-A-L-K, walk, not W-O-K, okay? You might get some wisdom there too, but walk walk whenever you read the word walk in the bible it means living life i want you to live your life as you go through life i want you to live your life and so when we read proverbs 13:20 and we read the word walk it means this live life with live life with the wise and and what happens say it together you become wise okay walk with the wise and become wise now the flip side of that is to not walk wise right not walk with the wise. For a companion of fools does what? Suffers harm. When you have fools around you, how many, have you ever seen three guys in the front of a pickup truck, you know, just standing out by the hood? They've got their foot up on the bumper. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. Yeah. Nothing good usually comes out of that. Because invariably, one of them is going to say this, hey, watch this. You know, and and nothing good usually comes from that. But if you, if you Walk with wise people. If you do life with them, you learn some things by osmosis. You just learn stuff. And so, therefore, when you do life with them, you'll learn. We become like those with whom we share life. Have you ever looked at the people you share life with? I remember in a former church, I, I had this kid, and he, and he really wanted to get close to God. He really wanted to get close to God, but he, he suffered doing drugs. He was, he was always tempted to do drugs. And one day I asked him, I said, well, who do you hang out with? You know, you hang out with the good Christian people, you hang out with who? He goes, oh, you know, my high school buddies and blah, 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 you know. I said, well, what do they do for fun? Well, they do drugs. I said, hmm, you know, you surround yourself generally with people that you want to become like, okay? And if you surround yourself with people that are constantly drunk, constantly doing drugs, constantly stealing, constantly, you're going to end up doing that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say good company will lift bad moral people up. You know, usually, it's a drag down, not a drag up. Okay? When you hang, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't hang around people that are not Christ followers. We should. But we should hang around them for a specific purpose of introducing them to Jesus. Okay. Not for being influenced by their lifestyle. When we come too friendly with the world, we become like the world. Okay. Now, um, walk with the wise. Now, what I want you to do is build mentoring relationships with people who show wisdom that you want to attain. Okay. Build mentoring relationships. Hang around them. Just say, hey, you know, I want to spend time with you. A lot of our friendships are really casual, aren't they? You know, how many of you, and I'm going I'm to point this out, how many of your good friends do you ever have, well, let's say not ever, but on a regular basis have dinner with them? It may be weekly, you know, probably not much, huh? Because we're really kind of private people, aren't we? We like to hang out by ourselves, you know, we don't, we got this going on, we got that going on. but if you need wisdom, you need to carve out time to where you can spend time with wise people. Don't just ask questions, but spend time together doing life together. I remember uh, when I first went into the ministry, man, I knew nothing about ministry. Many of you would say you haven't learned much. But the truth of the matter is I knew less then than I know now. And uh, when I first went into the ministry, I was a youth pastor at a church. And and the senior pastor, you know, he kind of took me under his wing. Uh, His name was John Jackson. In fact, he recognized some things in me that I didn't recognize in myself. And he developed those things in me. Uh, I remember the first time he says, Mike, I want you to preach for me. You mean in front of adults? He says, yeah. (laughs) He said, "Yeah. yeah. He says, you'll do fine. I said, oh, okay, and I did, and I, I don't know if I did fine or not, but I, I got through it, I got through it. Now, he, one time he asked me, he says, Mike, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you along, we're going to go to this funeral I'm doing, and uh, you're going to help me. And I thought, uh, funeral, I don't know if I can do that. He says, okay, all you have to do is you got to just read this one scripture, okay? And uh, I want you to read John 12:25, Okay, I go, okay, and, and I got messed up. And I read John thirteen thirty five 35, or whichever, whichever the shortest verse in the Bible is, it says, Jesus wept. So I get up and start this funeral. You know, he says, okay, good. Your turn. Read the scripture. I get up there and go, Jesus wept. <laughs> and I thought, I better say something, you know, because that just is falling on some deaf ears here. And I'm feeling really hot. And uh, so I said, you know, and I made... Some stuff up, and I said, you know, uh, Jesus wept, and we're at a time of sorrow, and, and I think it, you know it's okay to express sorrow at a time like this, but I don't know. and so I remember getting back in the car, and we're going back to the church after the funeral, and he says, when I tell you to read John twelve twenty five, I want you to read John twelve twenty five. So I looked it up, and I go, oops, I'm sure you said John thirteen thirty five, and I said that to silence. But he mentored me. He took me under his wing. and he says, I remember one time we went out and, and, he, and he says, you know what? Uh, it's important for pastors to have an outlet outside of ministry. You know, you got to get some exercise. you got to do some stuff. So we joined this racquetball club. And it was me and him and this other guy on our staff. And uh, so we would play cutthroat, you know, uh, three guys in there. And, and my pastor was, he thought he was athletic, you know. He, he thought he was. And, and so, but he wasn't really. And I remember, you know, hitting the ball and it goes to the back wall and I'm ready and whack, get hit right in the back of the leg. I go, oh man, he must've missed. I go, oh man, it hurts. I mean, you get hit with a racquetball in the back of the leg. It hurts. I go, whoa, whoa. Okay, well. I didn't say anything because I mean this guy's my senior pastor. I mean, what am I going to say? Hey, what are you doing? You know, I can't say that. So I just shrugged it off, and you know, we go on a little while longer, and uh, and he's getting beat, and pretty soon I hit the ball. It goes behind me. I'm ready. You know, whack! I get hit again. I go, man. You know, and and on the way back he says, "You wonder why you got hit so much?" I go, I must have been in the wrong place or the wrong time. I don't know, man. I, it was just bad. You know, there's three of us on the court. And it's, you know, it's not really, it's hard to play position and stuff. And and, uh, and he says, it's because you were beating me. <laughs> now, that taught me some stuff. That taught me. That taught me. I want that dude in front of me at all times. He does this on purpose. <laughs> Shame on him, and he was very competitive. I learned that about him, and I love the man I love the man to this day, uh, but the, those are the things, but he took me under his wing and he nurtured me he, he groomed me, uh, encouraged me um, when when eventually he became a pastor up here in fairfield and uh, and he and he left there, and he recommended that they hire me i thought I thought what what? I don't know that I could do that. And uh, lo and behold, I could. Had another guy on our staff. His name was Blake Withers. And uh, that dude, he, he taught me a ton of stuff. Uh, we, we, virtually, we attended seminary together. And uh, he taught me the value of studying in some great places. Your surroundings, when you're studying, make all the difference in the world. And so we got annual passes to Disneyland. And we would go out by Country Bear Jamboree in the middle of the day when it was closed. And they have all those picnic tables and stuff out there. And we would study out there, overlooking the water and the birds and just just having a peaceful time. Because I don't know if you've ever studied hard and, and felt the tension and the pressure of that. But, man, it was so peaceful that you never could get really too stressed about it. He taught me the value of that. He taught me the value of keeping a schedule. I mean, this guy... And I'll, I'll have to say, he was anal about scheduling. If it wasn't written down, he didn't do it. Okay. If it wasn't planned the day before, he didn't do it. He was not what you call a spontaneous person. However, I needed some of that discipline, and he helped build that discipline into me. There's things you have to do. You have to be ready. You have to be on time. You have to do all this stuff. And man, I learned that stuff early on in ministry. He was a great mentor of mine. So I'm just going to ask you, if you want to make better decisions, in fact, I'm just going to tell you, if you want to make better decisions, hang around better people. Kind of makes sense. If you need to learn some stuff, hang around people that know how to do that stuff. If you want to be wise, walk with the wise. The second word we want to talk about is ask. First, walk with wise people, then ask. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, what should you do? You should ask God. You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I love this passage of scripture because it says, if you lack wisdom, all you have to do is ask. And what does it say about God? He gives it generously, generously to all without finding fault. He doesn't say, oh boy, you want wisdom? I don't know what you're going to do with it. I'm, you know, I'm going to wait and see. I'm going to withhold it from you. He doesn't do that. He gives it generously to you without finding fault and so that you can be ready to respond to whatever faces you. Now, when you have young children, I, I love, I love my, the period of life when I had young kids you know, because they believed I knew everything, you know? They believed I knew everything. Then they got to be teenagers. And you know what? Within a two-year span of time, I went from knowing everything to knowing nothing. I knew nothing. My kids really weren't that bad. But typically, that's what happens with, with, at least they didn't tell me. I'll ask them. You know, they they might have thought that. Uh, But generally, that's what happens. Kids get to that stage where they think they know everything. And so I say to all of those 13, 14-year-old kids, hey, move out. Get a job. Earn your own living while you still know everything. And, um, you know, but but you go through that phase of life and then they start getting a little bit older and and they start realizing that you have some wisdom. They get married. And uh, and I always uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of a, a person that says, you know, when your kids get married, let them be independent. You know, let them make their decisions. Let them be that way. But always be ready to respond if they ask for advice. And if they ask for advice, boy, I'll tell them everything I know. In fact, if they ever ask for advice, I, it might be days before I stop. You know, because I don't know if I'll ever get asked again. And if I do that, I'll never get asked again. Uh, so be be wise. Okay, uh, I, I advise being low maintenance. You know, parent of adult children, low maintenance. Uh, the more, higher maintenance you are, the more responsibility you accept, and you might not want to accept all that responsibility for them. Okay, so refrain from giving advice until you're asked. Um, So when we ask God for advice, guess what he does? He gives it to us. It says very clearly, he will give it to us generously. He won't withhold stuff. He won't try to trick you. He won't give you half an answer so that you'll fail. No, he doesn't want that to happen. He wants you to succeed. So when we lack wisdom, God, I know that I need to take care of this problem, but I really don't know what to do ask for advice, ask for wisdom, and he will get it. He will give it to you. Now, um, here's the deal though. If you ask God for advice and wisdom, you have to spend some time with him. You know, I always, I, I like people that say, oh, you know, I asked God for wisdom and I asked him to give me some advice. I asked him for some help on this and I'll say, what did he say? They say, I don't know. I say, well, did you listen? No, no. Did you read the Bible? No. Did you ask some other people that you know that are, could give you some godly advice. No, I didn't do that either. I'm thinking, well, if you want to hear from someone, spend some time with them. You know, don't expect them just, hey, and a lot of times we come to God with this kind of idea that he's a vending machine. We put in our coins and expect an immediate return, you know, and he's going to spit out the answer. God says, no, it's more about the journey than it is about the destination. It's more about me and you getting to know each other than it's about you knowing what to do. And so spend some time with God. Now, he's going to help you, and he's going to give you true wisdom. Now, how does he do that? Where do you get this wisdom? You get it from the Bible. I encourage everyone here, once again, to do what? Read the Bible all the way through every year, okay? All of you, I would say most, 99% of you have smartphones, right? Yes. Okay, get one. Okay, um, borrow one. Okay, or you just read your Bible. Okay, but if you have a smartphone, you can get the U Version Bible app. U Version Bible app, and in that Bible app, it has a place for you to go, and you can get a plan a a yearly read through the Bible plan. It has different kinds of plans. You can get topical things. You can get all kinds of stuff. But I want you to read through the Bible every year and have a plan. And all you have to do is push one of the little buttons and it'll say, okay, here's what you got to read today. Push the green button. It takes you to the first one. Push the green button. Takes you to the second one. Push a green button. Takes you to the third one. Finally, it'll check them all off and then you're done for the day. And it will say on your little record thing, it'll say on track on track and that's where you want to be if you want to hear God you want to be on track you want to be able to hear him and so get the YouVersion version Bible app now if many of you say I don't have a lot of time to read I'm in the car all the time I drive for hours guess what you can push a little button there it has a little microphone button you push the button and it'll read it to you you don't even know have to have to know how to read Learn if you don't, but but you don't have to do that. Okay. Also, how do you hear this wisdom? You learn it through life groups. We have a small group that meets at Sue's house every Tuesday. Man, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, it's it's a terrific time. We have a blast. We get to eat, and we eat, and then we'll eat some more. But we study the Bible first, and we study. And we learn and we sharpen each other. People ask questions, people give answers, people share testimonies, people say, Here's what God's doing. And it's an awesome time for you to learn the wisdom of God. He'll speak to you in that. Also, I want you to come to church every Sunday because we talk about what God says. That's the hallmark of this church. We want you to know what God says so that you can make good decisions in those areas that He doesn't speak specifically about in His Word. What city should I live in? Oh, today, okay, if if I asked you what city does God want you to live in, what would you say today? It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. What matters is what I do where I live, not where I live, okay? So you've learned some things today. Now, in Proverbs 32, 8, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Will he tell you exactly what to do? He does three things here. Notice what he says. I'll guide you. Okay, Make a left, make a right. But you've got to be moving in order to be guided. Okay, You've got to be moving in order to be guided. He says, I'll guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you. I'll give you advice. Do you have to take the advice? No, but I recommend that you do. Okay, It's from God. I'll advise you. And what's he going to do? He's going to watch over you. Because if you get a little bit off track, what's he going to do? He'll help redirect you. So God gives us this wisdom to make some decisions. If we make a bad decision, that's what we all fear, right? Because we have this perfection thing going on, the perfect will of God. And if I get off track a little bit, oh no, what's going to happen? He's going to what? Guide you back because he's watching over you. It's not like he's waiting for you to make a mistake so he can smack you. Anybody here go to Catholic school? I wish Gus was here too. He went to Catholic school. You get wrapped on the knuckles with a ruler because you messed up. You got off track a little bit. Whack! And so we get this idea in our head that that's what God's going to do. If we get off track a little bit, whack, oh, ouch, ow, ooh, you know, that's not what he does. What does he do? He does three things. He guides you, he advises you, and he watches over you. Never once does it say, and he'll whack you. you know, If you don't walk the straight and narrow, he's going to whack you. Now, there are, let's be honest, there are some consequences for failure to do the good things and the right things. Let's be honest but it's not like God's waiting to whack you. He wants to guide you. He wants to watch over you. He wants to advise you. Okay. Remember teaching your kids how to ride a bike? What did you do? First, you gave them some verbal instructions, right? Okay. You're going to sit on the seat. You're going to pedal. Okay. And, and what I want you to do is I want you to pedal and I want you to keep your balance in the middle. Okay. And I'm going to guide you because I'm going to hold on to the back of the seat. How many of you ran along behind your kids as they learned to ride a bike? Absolutely. You know, anybody ever fall? Oh, bummer. Okay, but you hang on to them, you guide them. What do you do? You advise them, okay? You guide them. And you'll watch over them because you don't want them to get very far down the road without you being able to catch them because you don't want them to fall. What's their greatest fear? I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall. No, you're not. No, you're not. I won't let that happen. And that's what God does for us. He teaches us to ride a bike. And he runs behind us so in case we fall, he says, I've got you. I've got you. He's not waiting to whack you. Okay. He says, I've got you here. Okay. Now, God is the very same way. Um, he's going to tell us every step of the way, probably not exactly, but he's going to guide us, advise us, he's going to watch over us so that we can make the right decision, the right decision. Many of us, you know, as and I've seen parents that are like this, they they raise their children and they don't allow them to make decisions, yes. okay? And they tell them what to do all the time. I had some friends that, that were raising their kids and and they got to be teenagers, got to start driving. Okay? And they had to call their mom when they left the house. Or actually, she was at the house, so she was uh, we were leaving. And they had to call when they got to their destination. They had to call mom when they left. They had to call you know and they had to let mom know I'm here uh, when she got back down there. And they had to call all the time because mom was so scared that they were gonna mess up. Now, did they mess up? Did mom know? So I'm, my suggestion is, my suggestion is, is that, that we guide, we advise, and we watch over, but we also give our children the freedom to make decisions, and be careful too, don't let them make life-changing decisions. There are a few things you don't want your kids to make decisions about, okay? One is drugs, okay? They don't get to choose. My kids, you know, and I would, I would do everything in my power, everything in my power to keep my kids from doing drugs, okay? Okay. I don't want them to do stuff that's going to alter their life for the rest of their lives. So I would do everything I would do. And there's just a few of those things. Now, there are a lot of things that they can make decisions on and, and, and make mistakes over, right? Did my kids cut school? Sure. I hope not. I would hope not. But I now, and the, here's the bummer. The bummer is that when your kids get older, they get really honest. I used to think I was a good dad, <laughs> and well, uh, yeah, you know, Perfect. no, my dad, my kids are good kids. My kids are really good kids, um, but but you know, we get, you have to give kids the freedom to make decisions, or they will never learn how. And then when they get to be adults, man, they're, they're, there's just no decision to be made. Okay, number three, the third thing that you need to do. Okay, first we need to walk. Then we need to ask God. We need to walk with wise people. We need to ask God for wisdom. And the third thing we need to do is decide. Just decide. Okay. <laughs> How many of you remember the first uh, um, Karate Kid movie? Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi is a terrific character. Terrific character. Here's what he says one day. Um, he says, Daniel-san must talk. Walk on the road. Walk on right side safe. Walk left side safe. Walk middle sooner or later get squished like grape. Okay. Walk on the left, walk on the right. You walk down the middle, a lot of times you get squished like a grape. Okay. A lot of us do that in our decision making. You know, you decide to do this, decide to do this. Okay? But you walk the middle and make no decision at all, pretty soon you get squashed like a grape because you're in that no man's land. You go nowhere. You get nowhere down the road. And some of you are walking down the road in the middle right now by not making decisions. Now, how do I know? How do I know if something, a decision that I'm making is based on my desires, God's desires, or Satan's deceptions? How do I know the difference in all of that? Now, sometimes the Bible doesn't give us a clear definition, but sometimes it gives us a very clear definition of what's right, what's wrong. Always do those things. If you don't know what those things are, Dun, 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 dun. Did I mention the U version of the Bible? Yeah, get the U version of the Bible and read it. It'll tell you what is absolutely right, absolutely wrong, and there's some stuff in the middle. Okay? Stuff in the middle. So, therefore, we have to think about that stuff in the middle. What if I make a mistake there? What if I do that? Now, God will give you the freedom to make a variety of choices. And sometimes a variety of choices could all be right. You know, should I live here? Should I live there? I'm going to even suggest, who should I marry? You know, do you think that God has just one person in mind for each person? I do. Well, what if that person made a mistake, and what if that person down the road made a mistake generations ago, and now it steamrollers down to where I don't have a chance to get to that right person? I believe that God has a type of person. God wants us to be married to people who follow him. God wants us to be married to people who are moral. God wants us to be married to people who honor him. God wants us to be married and wants us to be like-minded with those people that we marry in regard to him. And so there might be three or four women that I could marry. All at the same time. Yes, not at the same time. No, don't do that. But there might be, and I believe God is about types of people. You know, we all have this kind of, and I think that it's kind of a false illusion about, well, there's just one person in this world and I have to find that person. I was giving some premarital counseling to a couple and that's what uh, the guy believed. He said, oh, there's only one woman in the world and I'm not sure that she's the one. I said, well, how will you find out the right one? He says, I don't know. I said, I've got the answer. You have to meet every girl in the world that's single to know which one's the right one. What are the chances? He goes, uh, uh, you know, and he started realizing very quickly, you know, it may be. And, and he did end up marrying the girl. But a lot of times we get stagnated into making no decision at all. We let this beautiful woman go that God wants me to be married to, because I think there might be someone else that would be even a little bit better. You know, it might be degrees better. And I got to find her. Oh, man, what a task that is. God is concerned about what we do with who we are married rather than who we're married to. Okay. What do we do as a, as a union of two people brought under the care and the nurture of God? What do we do as a couple? You know, how do we show him to the world? Now, I could marry the right girl, the exact girl that God wanted me to be married to, and, uh, and not do anything. Is that, is that any good to God's kingdom? Absolutely not. So my suggestion is, is that God gives us a variety of good choices, wise choices that we can use to honor him. Okay, God gives us that freedom. Now, what if I make a mistake? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a glimpse into the freedom, the future of that freedom in 1 Thessalonians 3.1. Here's what he says. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. Now, notice his ambivalence here again. He says, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best. No, he made a decision, right? He made a decision based on what he, all the information. In had. We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. So that, what did they do? They were left by themselves in Athens. Okay. Should we wait for people to come and help us? Should we wait for this to happen? Should we wait for that? No, I, I, I can't stand it any longer. I can't stand indecision any longer. I'm going to make a decision, is what the Apostle Paul says here. So we thought it best. Okay? What's best for us? What's best for the cause of God? What's best for the future of the gospel? What's best for God's kingdom? Okay? Not what's best for me. Paul never thought that. Paul never said, what's best for me? What will bring me the most comfort? What will bring me the most um, uh, confidence? What will bring me the best whatever? You know, the best return for my money. He never thought about that. He always said, what is best for the sake of the gospel? how can I sacrifice my life? How can I do whatever? The decisions I make are for the cause of God. Now, sometimes God gives us clear direction and sometimes God says, I trust you. I trust you to decide. Do what's best. Do what's best. And so therefore that gives us a lot of freedom, doesn't it? But it gives us freedom to do what is best for God, not what is best for us. Now, what if you make a mistake in that? Well, that's where you get wisdom. <laughs> you know, you make a mistake and you get an extra bill in the mail. Okay, I made a bad decision on a, on a purchase. I get an extra bill. Okay, I made a bad decision about school, about the choices of my classes. What do I get? I get an extra semester in school. I made a bad choice about my family. So what do I get? An extra kid. You know, sometimes stuff like that happens. Okay, where do we get wisdom? We get wisdom from our experience. Now, you don't want to make those mistakes, probably. However, God gives us the freedom to do that. And he doesn't abandon us in that. Because what does he do? He wants to nurture us. He wants to care for us. He wants to guide us, advise us, and watch over us. And when we make a mistake, he doesn't quit watching over you. Okay? Don't freak out about making a mistake. Okay, Be cautious. Try not to make it. I'm not saying just be willy-nilly. But if you do make a mistake, God will watch over you. Okay. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a minute. Because I want us to ask ourselves the question today, do I need to receive wisdom? Okay. And if you need to receive wisdom today about a decision, about a future, about what's going on, just raise your hand real quick in the air. I want to pray for you. Okay. Oh, man, all over the place. Cool. Cool. Let me pray for you. Father, you see the hands of these folks here who want to do what's good and what's right. And Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom, that you would be like you uh, were for King Solomon. Lord, we're asking for wisdom today. You promised that you'd give it to us generously without finding fault. And so, Lord, we ask that you do that for us today. Lord, help us not to be paralyzed when you don't speak specifically about what we ought to do. But Lord, help us to take into account what would be best for your kingdom. What would best show other people that we trust you? What would be best for our personal testimony about who we are? And so Lord, today, I pray that you'd give us wisdom to make those decisions. But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be stagnated into not making any decision at all. But, Lord, that we would get the wisdom we need, we would promptly evaluate it, and that we would promptly make a decision. Lord, I pray that the decision would be honoring to you. And, Lord, I know that if we follow your wisdom and your guidance, it will be. So, Lord, we want you to shine through our lives. How can we do that? Give us the courage to do that. And Lord, I pray for those who are here today that do not know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that you would help them to do three things. Number one, I pray that you'd help them to repent. Jesus said to repent. He says, unless we repent, we're going to perish. So I pray that you would help us to repent. Lord, we've been following our own selfish ways. I pray that we would turn away from that. And that's what repentance is, to turn away from that selfishness and to follow you. Live a life that is honoring to you. Live a life that's described in your word. Lord, trusting you every step of the way. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to believe. Lord, I pray that we would believe the truth about you, truth about the power that you have to change our lives, truth about how you can lead us into things that we've never had before, freedoms that we've never experienced. And Lord, freedom to be you in the place we find ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would help us to receive that. Your word teaches us that whoever receives you To those people, he gives the right to become children of God. So help us to receive you into our lives. Help us to make you the center of it, the control center of our lives. We call you Lord, and I pray that 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 name would mean something to us, that we would call you Lord because you're the boss of us, and we follow you. So Lord, I pray that those prayers would be made today, and that through that, it will be the wisest decision many people make in this room to become followers of you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.